Our scripture passage that we're going to be looking at today comes from uh, Peter's first letter. It's chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, but what we're going to be looking at, and as we've been doing with this letter, we're going to be going through it uh, bit by bit. And uh, this letter is what I've called the, uh, the handbook or the guide for exiles. And, um, and through all this, he's been teaching us how to live as exiles, live in a place that's not our real home, a place that's not our real time, that's not our real destiny. And this is the last bit of advice he gives us. Before we look at it, though, let's uh, pause for a moment in prayer. Good and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for every blessing that you have given us, Lord, and every guidance that you have put into our hearts and minds and our hands. And Lord, we thank you today for the, your word of Holy Scripture. We thank you for these words that you have given us, Lord, through the Holy Spirit and through the prophets and apostles Father, that we may have guidance in life and know what is good and what is true and the right path for us to walk. And Father, we know we cannot understand these things unless the same Spirit that inspired them then would inspire us today. And so we pray, Lord, that you pour that Spirit into our hearts and our minds, that as we hear and as we read, that we may also understand. Bless, Lord, this holy reading of your holy word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So have any of you ever tried to learn an instrument? Like tried to learn an instrument or maybe even tried to learn a, uh, a difficult skill, like learning a language or some other, other skill that takes a lot of practice? Well, if you have, you probably noticed that when you first start to learn whatever this skill or language or, or, or instrument is, when you first start to learn it, you learn a whole lot of things that don't make any sense at all. You're learning a lot of stuff that you, you look at and you're like, oh, this has nothing to do with what I want to learn. Let me give you an example. When I was um, trying to learn guitar, right, I was learning, first learning how to play the guitar. And when I went in to learn guitar, okay, I wanted to learn how to play like heavy metal. right? I wanted to play things like Guns N' Roses and Metallica and Led Zeppelin and stuff. And when I went in there, I went to the teacher, and what I wanted to learn was like the, you know, the, you know, that grinding. Or, you know, the really cool solos, you know, the -le 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 -le, like that. I was pretty good air guitar in it, yeah. <laughs> That's what I wanted to learn, right? But when I went into this guitar teacher, he wanted to teach me, like, counting. He was like, okay, we start off like this. We do this one. Two, three. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. I don't want to learn that. I know how to count. Okay, I want you to teach me the dee -lee 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 -lee. You know, I want to wail. All right, that's what I want to learn. He's like, no, no, we got to do this first. One, two. I'm like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, we're not even coming close. It was like two lessons before we even opened the guitar case up and pulled out the guitar. And then he was teaching me some awful little three-note song. Doom, doom, doom. I mean, it was... I started to doubt that this guy could teach me what I wanted. But at some point, though, I had to eventually trust my teacher and trust the process. Because I didn't know how to do the -le 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 I didn't know how to do that. He did. So I didn't know how to get from where I was to where I wanted to be. He's the only one that knew how to do that. So at some point, I had to trust him. I had to trust the process that he was teaching me because he, he knew how to wail on the guitar and I could barely play a note. you got to learn to trust the process. And 
there's a whole lot of things in life that are like that. You're learning a language, learning a skill. Anything that takes a lot of, of time and patience and learning to master, there are times in there we have to trust the teacher and trust the process because they know where to get you, where you want to go, and they know how to get there. Our God asks the same thing of us. Because here we are, we stand as exiles in this world, and we can't wait to get home. We want to get home. We want to get to the place where we finally belong. And if, and if we're not getting home, we want to get to this world where this world is in a state that it's supposed to be in. And quite frankly, sometimes it feels like God doesn't know what He's doing. I mean, has he looked around lately at the mess that this world is in? Do we really know and are we really sure that God knows what he's doing and he's taking us to the place where we need to go? If we're honest, though, we don't know the way home. We don't know the way for us to get home. We don't know how to get this world from where it is now to where it needs to be. We don't know how to get from where we are to where we need to be. And so Peter, in his letter, ends us with this bit of advice. Trust the process. Trust the process that I have begun in your life. Trust the plan of God. Trust what He has begun in you and trust where He is going to take you. It's not always perfect. Actually, it's rarely perfect. It hurts at times. Sometimes it seems like a total and absolute dumpster fire. But trust what God is doing. Trust the plan that He has begun in your life because He is the only one that knows the place where we're going. He's the only one that knows how we're supposed to end up. So, so Peter begins with this. and this, I'm starting at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. He's telling you first, trust God. He says what He says first, humble yourself beneath the mighty hand of God. That means put yourself below God. Put yourself under His authority. Put yourself under His direction. Put yourself under His care. Humble yourself before the authority of God. Obey Him. Follow in His ways. Trust in His ways. Live life the way that He has instructed you to live your life. That's what it means to humble yourself before God. Follow in His ways, not in your ways. Trust in the process that He has begun in you. In other words, let God be in charge. Let God be in charge of your life. Let God be in charge of your family. Let God be in charge of the world. You know, anytime you talk about uh, humility and humbling yourself, whether it's being just a humble person or like Peter's talking about today, humbling yourself before God, the question that people always get to that, that try this humility thing is why is humility so hard? Why is it so hard to humble ourselves even before God? And it's not like the song said, it's not because you're perfect in every way. Some of y'all don't remember that song. 
But it is very difficult to humble yourself even before God. And there's a lot of reasons why it's difficult to humble ourselves even before God. And the, it all comes down to really letting someone else have control. Is giving somebody else that's not you control over your life. It's allowing someone else to be number one. It's not you. Allowing God to call the shots in your life. That's why it's hard. That's what it means to humble yourself beneath the mighty hand of God is submitting to your rule that you're not number one anymore. And that's a problem for a lot of us. Because I'm looking around out here and I see a lot of people with control issues. Now, how do I know that? Because I see human beings out here, okay? And human beings, we have control issues. And I want you to realize something about your control issue. And I'm not pointing you out, anyone individually, you're pointing all of us out as me too. I want to tell you something about your control issue. You think your control issue is because you like things done right. And that's why I like to be in control of things, because it needs to be done right if it needs to be done well. And if I'm not the one doing it, it's not going to work out like it's supposed to. Right, let me disillusion you with that. That's not your control issue. Your control issue is your pride. That's your control issue. And I know you're thinking that you've got to be in charge because it's not going to get done right. And you remember last time when I wasn't in charge? Well, that was an absolute disaster. We can't have that happening again. So I've got to step up and do it all. Well, last time it probably wasn't as bad as you think. Your problem with it was not that it didn't work out. It was all wrong. It didn't work out like you wanted it to. That was your problem with last time. And that's why we like to be in charge. It's all about our pride. It's our insisting on things being our way. The way we want it to be. The way that we think it ought to be. But if you're going to humble yourself, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, that means you're not getting your way anymore. In fact, what it means is you're now going to be getting out of the way and letting God reign in your life. I mean, it's been a little bit of a rhetorical question, right? I mean, I'm God, can I be in charge now? Is that okay with you? Can I be in charge of this universe here that I've made? It's just giving God his rights, letting him reign as the king that he is. But what it means for us is letting go. That's what it means. It means letting go and giving up that control that control that we depend on and want so much. And me just saying the words, giving up control and giving it to God is making a lot of people nervous just thinking about it. Because there's so many uncertainties in life, so many question marks, and we feel like if we're not taking charge of it, it's going to turn out a way that we don't like or a way that's terrible and awful for us. And, you know, again, after all, we're the only ones that can do this right, so I'm the one that's got to take control, and I'm the one that's going to take charge. Because giving anybody else control, even if it's God, scares the heck out of us. So what do you do with all that fear? How do you overcome that fear and give God control? It's great because in this passage, he, he actually gives you the answer. He says, give it to God. 
says, give it to God. All that worry, all that anxiety, all that fear you have about giving him control, he says, just give it back to me. And what he says there in verse 7, he says, cast all your anxieties on him. I mean, isn't it great? He already, in these two passages, he tells you to humble yourself, and he's already, already seen that you're worried and anxiety about giving up that control. So he's giving you the solution for that as well. Humble yourself, let go of that control. I know it worries you, but what you do is you take that anxiety and you cast it on God. That's what he says, give it to me. He says, give it all to me. I'll take every single bit of it. I'll take all your anxiety, all your worry. You worry about the future. You worry about the finances. You worry about your children. You worry about this country. And God says, give it to me. I'll take all of it, all that anxiety, all that uncertainty that comes from giving me control. Just give it back to me, and I'll take it. I'll take all of it. But there's a catch. You've got to trust him first. You've got to humble yourself before him first in order for him to be able to take your anxieties. Because I'm, I'm about to stick some people right now, okay? This, this might hurt. I'm warning you. I don't like giving people a shot without a warning, okay? This might hurt. Some of you ask the question, how come I have such a hard time giving my anxieties and my worries to God? The reason is because you're not trusting him. That's why. Your anxieties and worries and fears can go to God in direct proportion in how you humble yourself before Him and trust in Him. If you can't trust in Him, you can't give Him your anxieties. He's telling us what we need to do, and He's giving us the solution. All there, right there, humbling yourself and giving your anxieties to God. They go hand in hand. You can't do one without the other. And if you read this, He says you can cast all your anxieties on God. How does that sound? How does that sound living a life without fear? Living a life without worry? Living a life without anxiety? He's told you you can do it all. Give it all to him. He'll take every single bit of it. It says because he cares for you. It says cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I mean, God sees your struggle. He knows it's hard. He knows he's asked something very difficult of us to take all of our pride and all of this control that we love and to give it over for him. He knows it fills us with anxiety. And he's telling us here, I got your back. I'm on your side. I'm the one who cares for you. But you got to trust him. You got to trust him. You have to trust the process he's putting us through. And it says here, when you do that, when you humble yourself, when you give him your anxiety, it says at the right time, you know what he's going to do. It says he's going to exalt you. At the right time, you do this, and he will exalt you. It's Peter's way of saying it's going to work out. It might be hard for a little while, but it's going to work out. It's going to work out better than you could ever have imagined. But you've got to trust him first. You gotta humble yourself before him and give him the power, give him the reign, and give him the control of your life. And it won't be easy. It won't be easy. It won't always be easy. There's gonna be some hard times. In fact, Peter warns you of these hard times right here, too, that you've got a powerful enemy that's working out against you. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, Be sober minded. 
Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So he gives us this image of the, of the devil, right? He says he's prowling around like a lion. He's like looking for prey, like this lion that's stalking and hunting. And he tells us who this adversary is. He says he's the devil. Now, now some of you, we know we live in the 21st century. Some of you might be too sophisticated to believe in the devil. I think that's kind of just old superstition. The only thing I'll say about that is Jesus believed in the devil. Jesus, when he preached, talked about this creature called the devil or Satan. And, well, I mean, if, if it's good enough for him, I'll believe it. But, but the point of the matter is this, is that you've got an adversary. That there is a force, a someone or a something, however you want to look at it. There is this force in a high spiritual place with a lot of authority and with a lot of a power that is looking to undo your work. Peter calls them an adversary. That's an enemy. That's somebody who stands against us. That's someone that's opposing us. That's someone trying to break down what we are trying to build up. That is someone trying to make us stumble as we walk. Someone that's trying to, to, to lead us in the wrong direction. To hurt us instead of healing us. And this, this, uh, what this adversary is, what the devil's concerned with, is you losing your faith. That's what he's after. That's what he's after. He wants you to lose your faith because as soon as you've lost your faith, that is when he's won. That's exactly why he says the antidote to the devil, the way to overcome this adversary is what he says, stand firm in your faith. That's how you resist him is you stand firm in your faith. Your faith is what's going to bring you through. But your faith is also the stakes of the battle. Notice he doesn't say stand firm in your morality, stand firm in your righteousness, stand firm in your integrity. And these are all great things to stand firm in, but these things are not going to bring you against this fight against the adversary. They sometimes can cause more problems than they solve. What he wants you to do is stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your trust in God, even as you stumble, even as you fall, even as your righteousness and your morality and your integrity aren't what you would like them to be. What you need to stand firm is, is in your faith. That's what the adversary is trying to undo in your life. Your suffering is secondary. The suffering is only to make you lose faith. The fear is secondary. That's only to make you lose faith. I'm not even sure the devil even cares if you become evil or not. As long as you lose your faith, that's all that matters to him. Is that you stop resisting him and you give in. And I'm not talking about moments of doubt. I'm not talking about moments where we question and we wonder. I'm talking about when you leave your faith behind completely. I mean, we all go through this battle when we're tested by our adversary. And when we wonder, well, this faith thing going to work out? And if you're like me, then... After a few hours, you stop feeling sorry for yourself. And you say, Lord, I'm sorry I doubted. I'm talking about losing the faith and giving up on the whole project of faith completely. That's when your adversary wins. And so Peter tells you, you can't relax. You have to stand your guard, stay sober, stay watchful, because this adversary is always prowling around. He says he's like a lion. He's looking for someone to devour. 
And have you, have you seen those, those nature shows? You know who the lion always goes after in the nature show? It's always the old, the sick, the weak, the one that falls behind the herd. That's who he goes after. And that's the one that's lost his faith. The one that's not a part of the herd anymore. The one that doesn't stand with the, with the church and the body of believers anymore. Who's abandoned that faith and he's off there all by himself. And for the devil that's easy prey. Because he can't resist me. And I'll devour that one. But you need to stand firm in your faith. Because as long as you stand firm in the faith, you can resist the adversary. You can resist doubt and fear and anxiety. And the devil, what he will do is go after somebody who's easier. How we stand firm in our faith is to trust. We trust in God. Here's, here he is warning us outright. It's going to be difficulty. There's going to be testing. There's going to be suffering. Don't come to me and tell you I said your life was going to be perfect and nice all the time. I'm warning you ahead of time. You've got an enemy who's out to get you. Be ready. Stand firm. Trust in God. I don't know it might make a whole lot of sense of why God lets this devil have the power that he does anyway. I can tell you he doesn't have the power he used to. It was broken long ago by Christ. That might be small consolation, the fact that he still does maintain some authority. He has influence over my life and the life of my loved ones. All I can say is trust in God. Trust in the process. And he gives us a promise to look forward to. In verse 10, he says this, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What God's asking you is to trust in this promise. To trust that what He has promised in you is after a time of your suffering, God Himself will restore you. This is what our faith is all about. It's believing and trusting in the work of God, in the good times, in the bad, in the tragedies, in the triumph, in the plenty, in the poverty. Trust in the work and trust what He's doing. If we trusted Him just when it went well, is that even trust? That's just kind of approving what He's done for us. You have to trust in them when it's not going well. And the harder life is, the more we need to trust Him. And what we are really trusting in is that His promise is true. That when all is said and done, God will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So everything that you have lost will be given back. All your weaknesses will be turned to strength. All your sorrows will be turned to joy. All your defeats will be turned into triumph. This is what we believe, and this is what we trust. So if you're still writing in your God books, you still got those passports hanging around, this is the last bit of advice Peter gives you, and it's the most important. Trust the plan of God. Trust the plan of God. You trust in the plan of God for the same reason you have to trust your teachers. You have no idea what's required to get us where we need to be. 
I don't know what I'm supposed to look like in the end. I don't know what the world's supposed to look like in the end. Only God knows that. And to be honest, there are a whole lot of things that I think are very important. When I get to the kingdom, I'm going to find out they were worthless. And there are many things that I thought were meaningless. And one day I'll discover the most valuable things that I possessed in life. I don't always know what they are. I have to trust that my God and the work that He's doing in me, the work He's doing in you, the work He's doing in life, you don't have to know. You only have to trust. You have to trust and believe that the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.